From the Scratch Lab studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas, RoadBikeRider.com radio, and uh, we're here with John Hughes. My God, I forgot what you look like. It's been so long, John. I know. I shaved off my full beard. I'm down to my summer goatee. That's why it's raining like crazy outside, George. And cold. And we're here with the uh, vice president from Training Peaks, Bryce Walsh, as well. Oh, my gosh. I'm actually getting the title used. Absolutely. Here <laughs> <laughs> you work hard for those titles. So I'm, I, I'm the employee of the month from February 2016th at Eldora Mountain Resort. There we go. How, how's that? <laughs> I, I, I have no honors at all this year, except I'm working less and less. That is an honor, actually. <laughs> Speaking of titles, <laughs> we're talking uh, about success today. The six factors of success, as a matter of fact, correct? That's correct, George. And, and a brief anecdote and acknowledgement of where I got these. Um, gosh, probably 15 years ago when I started cross-country skiing rather seriously, not rather well, but rather seriously, Muffy Ritz, our good friend Muffy Ritz, gave me a book called Don't Look Back. It was not Dylan. It was about a gentleman in his 30s who decided he wanted to try out again for the Olympic biathlon team. And the book was all about the five success factors. And he ran through them. Uh, sorry, I don't remember his name. But uh, the fifth, and he thought the most important one, was mental. And when we were working on distance cycling, I decided to break out planning as something separate from mental. Planning is pretty cognitive. Mental is actually more subjective. So the, the six success factors, always curious if I can say that without slurring something, are planning and training, one and two. We're going to talk about those in this first podcast. Nutrition and mental, which are actually pretty closely linked in the second podcast. And then equipment and skills in the third podcast podcast as they apply to both uh, endurance riding and also ultra racing, which you two gentlemen will be doing. Yes, we are teamed up as a two-person team in RAW, and uh, yeah, we need to talk about some of these <laughs> six, because uh, I think Bryce and I are probably in the worst shape of our lives as far as uh, overall cycling fitness. Yeah, but RAW is a pretty short event. I mean, it's only like 100 miles, right? Um, well... An hour? No. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure that all of the RBR radio listeners know what raw is other than vegetables. Ah, okay. Raw is a uh, nonstop 928 miles from Oceanside, California to Durango. We will be riding it as a two-person relay team, so switching off. We've got our strategy pretty well set, but uh, still a little daunting when you haven't been able to put in a whole lot of miles. I've been... Doing a lot of alpine skiing. Bryce, you've been in the office a lot? I've been in airplanes oh, okay. quite, quite, quite <laughs> a lot, actually. So Really hard to train in airplanes. It sure is. Lots, lots of treadmills in hotels. So. Well, let's start with planning, if that's okay with you guys. Um, first thing I do with every new client, uh, Coach George and Terry, is gather a bunch of information about their past training history. Kind of give me a baseline so I don't add up their training by 50%, uh, think about what their goals are. And in the case of you two, it's high-speed racing. Uh, in the case of other people, it's a long endurance event. Bryce, you've done Paris Press Paris several times. You know, we've all three done Race Across America, which are not high-speed events. Uh, and, and then lay out a, a multi-month plan with a purpose for each month, uh, kind of dialing it in. And it starts out with 
kind of building your base fitness and then goes into building your speed and then finally some sort of peaking. And that's the basic structure, whether you're doing uh, Race Across America or two-person racing raw or a century. So I mean, w- what do you guys do for planning? Why do you think planning is important? Oh, you've been my coach since 1995, so it's it's easy. No. <laughs> Go ahead, Bryce. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would say that. Um, I mean, it, for me, it's really been that's been the dramatic shift over the years with any of the racing that I've done was, um, you know, when you first start out, you can just make leaps by just putting in time on a bike too, and and so that you know that's easy for the first few years after that you kind of realize like they're you're not getting any better you're staying exactly the same so i guess in from my perspective the planning and comes down to planning training but and then also planning for um, the activities of the race and doing things that are preparing you for this the specific event that you're you're getting ready for and you know as you said that you know that well-worn tread of building um setting up setting up a base building from there and then hopefully getting a peaking at the right time and that's always the trick with every every athlete is to get that peak just right you know when a lot of the shows that you and i have done talk about working fitness into your daily life and i mean i taught full-time was a supervisor up at the mountain and which sounds like ooh, ski you're just playing it's that was a very stressful job um, was exhausted at the end of the days, but I really looked for ways to get in a lot of work. So I would uh, hike up the race hill in the morning with a drill, brushes, skis, and set race course on foot. Uh, go up before I could take the chairlift. Find multiple ways where I'd have to walk up the hill. Uh, I would carry students. Uh, I'd have them grab onto a ski pole, and I would haul them up the hill, uh, either running or skating on my skis. So actually overall fitness i feel like i'm stronger than i've been at this time of year and weight wise um much better uh than i've been in a long time just not cycling fit i've not been able to work in time on the bike and and you're using a really good term which is work in because another really important part of planning is planning what your training week's going to be like and i think one of the most important things i do as a coach is i lay out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this is what I want you to do each day, rather than saying, well, you know, I want you to ride 150 miles this week, let me know how you do it. Because the tendency then, for a lot of people, is you kind of let it slip, and you kind of let it slip, and you say, oh my God, Coach Hughes, I guess I'm going to have to ride 125 miles on Saturday to make that goal. So having some sort of structured rhythm of harder workouts, easier days, harder workouts, easier days, where does the long ride fit, building on all that kind of structure like you're talking about George yeah I mean I've actually found these days for me it's it's more important for me to do something each day than it is actually to do as you know a certain amount of hours a week or a certain distance a week for sure like um, my fitness seems to sustain better it's those days that are zeros that are the the hardest I think you know even if they're very very easy just to have something in there really seems to help. So. I'm 67. George here is in your 50s. 54. I don't remember your age. I'm Bryce. 46 now. So. Okay, you're, you're, you're getting there. And, and one of the things that I observe in myself and all the people that I coach that as they get older, as I get older, doing something daily 
yeah. is important. That's absolutely right. Um, I, I actually use a pretty simple plan, which is I strive for 10 hours a week mm-hmm. of exercise. And that actually can be shoveling snow or chopping wood, as well as riding my bike. Carol and I went hiking yesterday, hitting the gym. And what I do is I try to sit down on Sunday night and say, okay, what do I know about the week? When am I going to do each thing? Um, if it's a significant amount of time, I write it on the whiteboard that Carol and I have so she knows when I'm going for a long ride or whatever. And then I kind of got my structure laid out. And then I keep a training log, and I can kind of look at what the plan is. And I kind of write in my training log, well, good job, John. You got in, you know, an hour and a half of hiking. You only planned an hour and 15. Or, oops, all you did was chop some wood. You never got on your bike. So that's another very important part of planning is uh, – the week itself. Go back to the concept of peaking, and Bryce, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, as it were, that, that it's hard to peak at the right time. And a big part of peaking for me is event simulation. And you know, I've worked with George over the years, and the two of you are heading out Friday night mm-hmm. for a peaking activity, race simulation, right? Talk a little about that, would you? Yeah, so I guess for the sake of the podcast, I guess since nobody's nobody knows what we're doing yet here, um, f- yeah, Friday afternoon, early evening, um, George and I are going to do 24 hours yep. of race simulation for Ra. Um, and the interesting thing about this one, um, since you know my experience has really been a lot of solo um, ultra racing and um, things like that, is um, the short efforts um, is something that I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that, how I, that affects me. Um, I mean, yes, I've been doing workouts that hopefully um, get me a little bit prepared for it, but um, 24 hours of 30-minute pulls is going to be a, is going to be a different activity for sure. Um, so this this is going to be a this is going to be it's a so a little bit of trepidation, I have to admit, for this uh, this test test run, even after all of the races that I've done. You know, but, and and what's so important about that kind of activity when you're peaking, you'll be start you'll be doing this uh, as we record this May twelve thirteen, and Raw is about a month away, June thirteenth. Right? Okay, so the plan you guys have developed is your key peaking activity is a month before the race. And that right there is a plan. You're not just yeah. going to kind of figure out later when to do it. And uh, let, let, let's take doing a 1,200K as an example, the kind of things I'll have somebody do during peaking. The first part, obviously, is, is doing your brevets up to the 600K, and that's really building your, your endurance. And once you've done a 600K, you don't really need to do a lot more volume to do a 1,200K. So peaking then turns into rehearsing different kinds of activities. So, for example, if you're taking the evening start, part of peaking is doing an overnight 200K. Another good peaking example is ride a 200K, finish around midnight, and then get up at 4 a.m. and do another 100K, simulating the overnight stop. So building is in as many, I, I plan to build in as many different kinds of simulations of different aspects of the event as I can and part of us learning how to do it, but Bryce, you said you sense there's a little trepidation there. Mm-hmm. And another of the purposes of this thing is to build some confidence 
is also figure out what doesn't work. You know, I'm thinking as we're talking, um, the first time I raised two-person was in the 04 Ram with Terry. And uh, we didn't really know anything about it. So our whole plan was two-hour pulls. And John would have us go out and do a 12- to 18-hour day. And Terry and I would just go out and drive and ride. And one of us would go for two hours on the bike. And uh, as... Uh, knowledge has kind of increased on speed with two person. It's really like racing four or eight where the short pulls work. And I uh, really found that 15 minute pulls increase your speed big time. Mm-hmm. So our uh, race simulation has really changed a lot. Absolutely. And that's part of the learning curve from having done it multiple times. How, mm-hmm. how many times have you done PBP, Bryce? Oh. I forget now. I guess that's another sign I'm, <laughs> I'm getting 46. Um, four times. Four I times, yeah. I, I, you know, and I've done it five times. And, I mean, it's similar to what George is talking about. E- each time you learn something and you build that into the next time you do it so you have a better event, which could mean faster or it could mean more sleep and more fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I actually always, for me now, um, you know, using PVP, that one now is I know it so well that I actually have no nervousness anymore. Like I remember the first one, I was so incredibly nervous going to that first PVP, probably, you know, a l- little bit on I'm doing a two man team here. Um, but now, yeah, with, with a few of them under your belt, you kind of go, Oh, I can, I can stop and look at that. I can, you know, or I can decide that I can go this fast too. And, and it's not, there's not as many unknowns. Um, right. Well, I, I mean, having all the experience really does help a lot. Yeah. So, Unless you two guys have got more you want to say about planning, let's then shift to, to how you train mm-hmm. for an event uh, and go back to, you know, you know I talked about it, Bryce, Bryce talked about it. it it's, it's a very common structure, which is a lot of endurance training early in the year and then some riding to keep your endurance while doing a lot of power work and then these very specific peaking activities. Uh, I'm coaching somebody who's going to do a, a multi-day tour. Peaking's pretty simple. I want you to go out and do a back-to-back weekend. I want you to go out and do a three-day ride. I want you to go out and do a four-day ride. This person happens to be training for the Great Divide mountain bike race, which means a loaded mountain bike with all your gear. And I had this individual go out and do back-to-back rides, and the, the rider reported back, wow, that really makes a difference with all my gear. I said, well, yeah, that's what peaking is all about. So how are you training for raw? Bryce, what have you been doing besides riding around in airplanes? Yeah, um, you know, I, it, it, it's it been a little different the last few years for, my ulti- for racing in general. Um, you know, since we're in Colorado, number one, that's that affects it a little bit. And, and also I think that... Um, it's just changed over the years the way I approach it to like um, I don't do as much long riding early in the year when it's cold out I gotta admit I do a lot more intensity over the winter than I ever used to I do a lot more intensity than I probably ever have Um, and then as spring comes I usually then move into getting in some really really long um, efforts to build up my endurance then I find that the endurance comes back fairly quick um, 
So, for instance, this year I, w I actually took off for a week down to Arizona and did, you know, an 800-mile week um, while I was down down there with Pack Tour, um, actually. And and usually those set me up really well then to be able to kind of maintain those longer rides over the weekends. But um, during the week, it's much more intensity, lot um, and sprinkled them different intensities throughout the, the the process as I'm building up towards the event too. Yeah, a couple so. comments that I want to hear from you, George. The, the, the kind of the inverted pattern that, that you're talking about, Bryce, is is one I use pretty regularly. You know, George and I have interviewed Eliz interviewed Elizabeth Wick several times, and she lives in Massachusetts and doing you know 150 mile rides in December. Elizabeth will ride outside, but even that's too long for her. So she does intensity workouts twice a week, and when she can, an endurance ride. And then when the weather starts to improve, she builds up the endurance. So first comment. Second comment, you, you make a really good point that the endurance comes back pretty quickly. And, and the reason is when you've been riding for a number of years, you've got a really strong baseline endurance. And that doesn't go as, as, away as fast as your high end. You lose the ability to develop power much more quickly than you lose your endurance to go a long time. And so doing what you do makes sense. Third comment. Another way around that that uh, problem is I, I cross-country ski a lot in the winter mm -hmm. for endurance. Uh, George, you do activities up on the mountain for endurance. So, George, what, what are you doing to get ready for raw besides uh, nothing? <laughs> Well, I, would, uh, I mean, I was coming out of March really fit, and then I was sick almost all of April. Uh, ended up going to a skiing event at Snowbird and uh, launching a podcast from there. And so it took away a lot of opportunities to ride. Uh, then I put on a race up in Oregon, but uh, got in a, a little bit of riding. Um, but I do a lot of what you had me have had me do over the past three seasons, which is really push my pain level uh, with hill repeats um, doing ladders on the indoor trainer one minute all out two minutes off two minutes all out two minutes off three minutes all out two minutes off and then I you know blew myself up by seven minutes all out but I want to see how much pain I can take and how fast can I recover because it's crazy I'm lighter and I have more power in my legs than I think I've ever had and I'm seeing speeds on mountain climbs. I've never gone that fast uphill. It's it's blowing me away. Um, but then when I blow up, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want to get in over these next few weeks, the, the race simulation is really important to me this weekend. And then I like doing that 18-hour ride that uh, we've done the last three years. That's kind of my, okay, I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah, the 18-hour ride, is it, it's pretty similar to a race simulation, except Bryce doesn't have to participate. So George, it's harder to push yourself because George, you don't have a teammate there. George goes out and hammers for 15 or 30 minutes, and then he sits on his butt for 15 or 30 minutes, and then he goes again. And uh, as I remember it, sometimes toward the end when it's – or at the beginning, depending on where you start it, but when it's dark, you'll do the 15 to 30 minutes on your trainer. Which is even harder. Which is even harder. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I want to be safe. Uh, if it's raining at night, sometimes I, I mean, after the deer incident, getting hit by a deer, I, my wife is very nervous about me being out at night alone, so. <laughs> 
Let's talk about endurance for just a minute. There, there was a very, very interesting podcast uh, last Friday, Science Friday, interviewing a scientist about endurance. And so if anybody's interested, you just uh, Google Science Friday and endurance. And what this man was saying, that the fundamental point of endurance, you, you race until you hit the wall. Now, we've never hit the wall. I mean, it's never happened to me except every year or two. Has it ever happened to you guys? Every race? Well, it happened uh, <laughs> big time going to Ward on Saturday for me. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> hit, hit, hitting the wall is when you've burned all the glucose in your body. You're flat out of sugar. And what happens physiologically, your, your brain can only burn sugar. And once it's out of sugar, what was I talking about? I'm fuzzy. You expect me to walk out of this room? You're dead. You are dead meat. And so endurance training is all about pushing that wall farther away so that George can hammer to, to uh, up left hand toward and then keep pushing it all the way up another 1,000 feet to Brainerd Lake, for example. And by doing endurance training, you can move that wall farther away. First of all, you get more efficient at metabolizing body fat and you spare sugar. There's a limited amount of glycogen that your body can store. It's enough for about 90 minutes of really hard riding or two or three hours of moderate endurance riding. And once you run out of that, you hit the wall. The other thing that endurance training does is it increases your ability, your capacity to store sugar by 20 to 50%. So both of those contribute to moving the wall farther out. Now, we've known that for decades. What's interesting about this scientist's research is he's been experimenting on genes in mice. And a caveat, it's always difficult to extrapolate meaningfully from experiments with mice to experiments with, with people. But they figured out the control, that there's one gene that controls whether your muscle fibers are burning fat or sugar. And by tweaking this gene, they could tell the, the, uh, the mice's muscles to burn more fat and not as much sugar. And the mice ran 70% longer on their little wheels until they hit the wall. That's pretty interesting. So the Russians used this process to dope. But unfortunately, it's got some pretty severe side effects with that particular drug. So there's a company up in Massachusetts that's working on perfecting a drug that will be safe for humans. And they hope to go into human trials pretty soon. So what that means is for all of us who live in cold places like Colorado, we don't need to do endurance training. We can just pop pills. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure it's quite that simple. <laughs> but look up the podcast on Science Friday Endurance if you're interested. The, the basic point is endurance training pushes the wall farther away. Not intensity training. Endurance training is what moves out your capacity to go farther before you blow up. So one thing I've learned from this podcast is tongue twisters because we've had six successes and mice's muscles. Mice's muscles. That, that's a good one. <laughs> mouse, mouse muscles. <laughs> uh, John, do you have any articles uh, that would go with this topic? I, I actually just finished one up on the six, six success factors as they apply to cycling. 
And one of the really interesting points in that book that Muffy recommended to me and in 20 years of coaching is these success factors apply to anything. I did some cross-country ski racing last winter, uh, two winters ago, and, and one of the reasons I was more successful, 67 you're back then, you're not that fast, but I dialed in my equipment as best I could and the wax to use. I dialed in my nutrition, figured all that out. I dialed in the mental. So they, they apply to uh, that. I'm coaching this woman who's a mountain bike racer. It applies to all of that. I've coached triathletes, swimmers, runners. It applies to all of those. So whatever your discipline is, cycling or any other, the six success factors apply. So they're planning, training, nutrition, mental, equipment, and skills. And as George prompted me to say, there's a new article out here on the Road Bike Rider website for those, and it also accompanies a bundle I'm very proud of, the best of Coach Hughes' training articles, of which there are approximately 40 right now. So check it out on the website. And next podcast, we're going to be talking about more of the success factors. Um, what are those going to be, nutrition and mental? Well, those are going to be nutrition and mental, and perhaps we should start with going over to the Boulder Brewery and get ready for nutrition. Sounds good to me. You ready to go, Bryce? Can you uh, have a few beers before you start work today? Absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> From the Scratch Lab Studios in Boulder, Colorado, roadbikerider.com radio. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Meredith Masony. And I'm Tiffany Jenkins. We're the hosts of Take It or Leave It, a podcast where we discuss all things marriage, motherhood, and everything in between. Join us every week where we sit down and talk about parenting, even though we don't really know what we're talking about. We have guests, we take your calls, and we get weird. Tiffany and I are just like you. We are two struggling moms who have no idea what we're doing. Join us on Take It or Leave It, an advice-ish podcast for parents. A cash, A cash, A cash, A cash, A cash recommends. recommends.